0: Good afternoon and thank you for spending time with us to talk about the state of education. My name is Bobby Regan and I'm a City Club board member and producer of this program. I'm also a former longtime school board member and my children graduated from Oregon Public Schools. This discussion around Oregon state of education is near and dear to me as I know it is for many of you. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the land we are on is native land and was stolen from people who lived here for thousands of years. Together, we recognize their unbreakable connections to this land and we honor the resilience of their ancestors and the hope of future generations. For today's program, our guests are two highly respected Oregon school superintendents who were recently terminated by their newly elected school boards. Melissa Goff has served for six years as a superintendent for two school districts in Oregon's Mid-Willamette Valley. First, for Philomath Public Schools, and more recently, a superintendent of Greater Albany Public Schools. Previous roles included Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning for Portland Public Schools, Director of Teaching and Learning for the Sherwood School District, and Principal of Skyview Middle School in Ben Lapine. Goff currently works in a statewide role mentoring K-12 school superintendents. Dr. Joe Morlock brings nearly 30 years of experience in Oregon K-12 education and most recently served as superintendent for Newburg Public Schools. Previous positions included assistant superintendent at Lake Oswego School District and director of technology and secondary programs at Camby School District. He has also been a librarian and a high school Spanish teacher. We thank Toya Fick for moderating this conversation. She is executive director of Stanford Children Oregon and is the board chair at Meyer Memorial Trust and a board member with the University of Oregon. As one of the primary authors of statewide ballot measure 98, which seeks to improve Oregon's high school graduation rates, and a leader who played a pivotal role in Oregon's historic Student Success Act, fix strives to ensure that Oregon schools are equitable for all. Most importantly, all three of our guests are parents with children who attend or graduated from Oregon public schools. Before we begin, I want to thank our community partners, Chevron, The Standard, Northwest Natural, Kaiser Permanente, and Tonkin Torp, as well as our partners at Merge Design, for their support in making today's program possible. Thank you also to Kayla Kennett, City Club Communications Manager, for all of her work putting together today's program. Our next two programs in this series will be our State of the City with Mayor Ted Wheeler on April 8th, and our state of the county with Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kofori on April 13th. Finally, I want to remind everyone that you can ask questions at any time during today's conversation. Just email us at questions at pdxcityclub.org. So thanks again for joining us.
1: Hello and welcome to our conversation on the state of education. I'm Toya Fick and between myself and my two panelists we could spend three days on that topic (laughs) and we've talked about spending three days but we have limited time today so I wanted to focus our conversation on what's happening with school boards across our state. School boards have seemingly become ground zero for some of the most incendiary debates in public education not just in Oregon but across our country. To me, it's as if a new battle has emerged in public politics and education politics, and it's being waged at the school board level. And I think few people understand that more than my fellow panelists from banning Black Lives Matter signs and critical race theory and whether or not students should be masked. School board meetings are getting a lot of attention these days, not just here locally, but across the country and school board races are attracting a record amount of money and they're taking a lot of time and attention away from things that we think school boards should really be focused on. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to focus our conversation today on that. I think the consequences of this divisiveness is really impacting students and families that uh, superintendents and teachers and education leaders are trying to serve. So that will be the topic of our, the focus of our time today. And I'm looking forward to questions from you all. So I wanna thank my colleagues for joining us today. Um, And let's start with your journeys towards becoming a superintendent. Um, Melissa, let's start with you. Tell us in a few minutes how you became a superintendent, tell us about your journey, and then talk to us about why it ended so abruptly last year.
2: Okay, Uh, thanks Toya, (laughs) I'm really happy to be here. Yes. Uh, So my journey to uh, to, uh, becoming a superintendent is was long. Uh, it started actually when I was in college and volunteering in an English learner classroom working with students who were learning English as their second or third language. I really enjoyed it, went home during the break, had a conversation with my younger brother and uh, I was very res- surprised by his response. He he was a foster child, um, was in the foster system and, and was actually, we were his second adoptive family and that really impacted Um, him in in very serious ways, long-lasting ways. He was only a year younger than I was, didn't come to live with us until um, middle school. So uh, my brother's experience, however, that he shared with me that day was stunning. I had talked about some of the teachers I loved the most that I had had in middle school and high school, who I felt really pushed me and really engaged me in in important ways. My brother's experience with those Mm. same teachers was vastly different. And uh, as we broke down why that might be, we really just talked about the, um, the challenges that he was bringing into the classroom, such as an inability to sit still, mm-hmm. were things that uh, teachers didn't necessarily have the training on, on how to work with, with students like my brother. Um, we had one teacher, however, who whose class he actually didn't pass mm-hmm. um, and who I loved, who inspired me to become an English teacher, um, that he said, made the biggest difference for him in, in schooling. And um, in that moment, I realized that's where I wanted to be as teacher. So I became an English teacher, uh, loved teaching language arts, middle and high school, yeah. and um, then eventually got into administration and eventually into a higher level administration. As an assistant superintendent in Portland Public, um, I really had the opportunity to dive deep into equity work beyond the equity work that I had been engaged in to date to really examine my own, um, how I engage with the world as a white woman, and how others experience the world differently, Mm -hmm. and how I might be able to change outcomes for our students of color and our our students who are learning uh, English. Um, That work seeded for me Uh, a dedication to equity work as the center of who I am as an education leader, was able to bring that work to Philomath and start equity work there that is still ongoing and I'm very proud of the work that they're doing and then was able to um, expand that in Greater Albany as well. Greater Albany had, when I was hired, had just um, released their former superintendent. It was a different board and it was uh, for different reasons and um, they were really needing some stable leadership. Okay. Uh, and I it, it came in a difficult time because uh, COVID struck in that first nine months of, of my leadership. And so um, after that happened, in the beginning, I think what we all experienced, Joe will say this too, everybody loved schools and was so appreciative of the teachers and so appreciative of all of us who were working hard to shift our systems. Um, but when people got exhausted and no longer wanted to wear masks and were feeling that quarantine was really keeping them from engaging with other people, that response um, really changed what happened with me in Albany, with some of uh, the community members, and uh, certainly across our state, and we Mm -hmm. see that everywhere. Mm -hmm. When I was released, I was released uh, for no cause termination, uh, which means that there is no reason to terminate me except that the board, <coughs> excuse, excuse me, felt they needed to go in a different direction than mm-hmm. the leadership that I was leading. Um, and my focus was, was on equity work, mm-hmm. um, on student mental health, on an academic critical thinking. Um,
1: they have not communicated with me on yeah. the why. Yeah. So. Oh. Joe, tell us about your journey to becoming a superintendent. Sure.
3: Um, Well, it was never really a plan for me to become a teacher, honestly. Um, uh, My father was a teacher, and he actually sent me a classified ad um, a long, long time ago, and they used to have those in newspapers, and you remember those. Yeah. Um, I
2: think they might still have them.
3: They probably do, yes. In the library. Um, And I had already been doing work like that. I was tutoring uh, adults who um, couldn't read. I was working in um, campfire boys and girls in the summertime. We had programs uh, in Gresham. Uh, in uh, Outer East Portland and Hillsboro, And so we were, I was always doing that kind of work anyway. And then I found myself coaching a youth team. And so when that classified ad came along, I was like, well, well I'll just try this. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it was great. And I, I taught high school Spanish, uh, and then I became a librarian. And, and actually the library job was the first time um, that I started to see things differently because I had students in Spanish class and we did mm-hmm. all those things, but. As uh, I got to the library, I noticed that um, our collection didn't reflect the students we had and the languages that were spoken. And yeah. so yes. I converted and used a significant portion of the budget to buy books in Spanish and mm-hmm. in Russian mm-hmm. um, for students of all kinds. So, so we can, important. Yeah, it was Thank it, you so that. they can see those. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize how important that was to students until I saw those books flying off the shelves. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I think I found a thing. Uh, and then added graphic novels, and that was another thing. And so finding out that, of course, um, you know, students are all different. And um, so I think that was, that was kind of the first step. And then on into, um, in eventually uh, directing technology.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And in the technology work was in the next phase of that for me, whereby we were focusing um, some of our most critical work we were using at the time, iPod Touches, was the first one in the world. And we did them in the third grade and noticed mm-hmm. that students who wouldn't traditionally have access to devices. Mm. I mean, they would hold them, you know, like this Mm -hmm. precious resource Mm -hmm. and then, which was fun at the beginning. And then what we noticed were that their achievement scores were outpacing and it was because we had spent some additional focus time. And that was another lesson. I didn't know it at the time because, you know, we were doing those things as I reflected on that. It's like- And
2: that's when we met. Right because I was working for Portland Public at that time, mm-hmm. and Joe was doing such innovative things that I got the opportunity to go down and observe and learn from him and his teachers on some of the in- right. innovative work they were doing.
3: And it was, in, the teachers really took off with that. Yeah. It was, mm-hmm. you know, you, you provide great. an opportunity, they see the work, they see their students achieve more and it starts to feed upon itself. And so that work mm-hmm. began that, you know, we did uh, focus work in migrant summer school. Additionally, we would have additional resources, more people, uh, to give students more opportunities, the students who wouldn't normally have those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, into uh, the Lake Oswego School District, uh, we began some work um, in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I wanna give props to, it not, was not just the district, it was something that um, the city wanted to take on uh, our police and fire uh, mm-hmm. chiefs also were part of that effort,
1: community-wide um, the effort. Community. That's crucial. Yeah, yeah
3: it was, yeah. and it's, 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 a, so it's a community movement. And yeah. there was a lot of grassroots grass, grassroot work that, that really supported all of that work to bring it together. And right. so, um, seeing that all come together and what that did for um, you know our, our always marginalized Both students, students, yeah. students mm-hmm. yeah. that we have, yeah. uh, and to watch them achieve because it's a high achieving place, but not for everyone. Right. Um, and and so then, uh, as I took the role at uh, Newburgh, um they were in very difficult shape. They had um, sh- they had shed twelve percent of the staff across the board. And what year was this? This was in twenty eighteen. Oh wow! So they had um, essentially sixty staff. So teachers, support, uh, administrators, district office, and so. Uh, and they had they were targeted at $139,000 ending fund balance, which mm-hmm. is very
1: nothing, small. Very, very small. small.
3: It's nothing. Right. Um, and that and we ended up at about a 0.8%. So we had to come out of a very difficult. I know.
2: So dangerous. 0.8%. <laughs> it, it
3: is because you, you people rely on these because these are their jobs, and then if you can't pay them, they're right. not going to be very happy, and it's going to no. be very bad. Right. Right. And so you know, I came into the district at a very challenging time. We had to. You know, reorganize that. We had to negotiate contracts. We had to get people on board. We had to help people get over those emotional things. Yeah. And at the same time, certain areas of our achievement were very low. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So when we looked mm-hmm. at those and said, well, we've got to spend some work on this. And you right. know, when we talk about when I was hired, the, the goal was to close the achievement gap. Right. And there are two ways to do that. Mm-hmm. The first way, which I don't suggest, is to bring the top down. Right, right. Like Those high achievers will bring them down. Right. That'll close the gap, that's <laughs> right. not the best way. That's not the or um, we have to find ways to make sure that our students who are not achieving, which was very easy to see on a demographic breakdown, yep. mm-hmm. we're not giving them enough resources to achieve the levels we expect. Right. So that's as we converted into that work.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And then, as your are so you got, remind me, a couple of new board members uh, last May. Is that correct? Yes. How many new mm-hmm. boards, four new board members of a seven?
3: Um what's well, a seven member board. Mm-hmm. There were two new members, one two. additional okay. one uh, who won re election. Well,
1: gotcha. Gotcha.
3: Mm-hmm. And uh, things so to change a little yeah, bit. I don't
1: think I mentioned. We had three out of five new board members. Three out of five mm-hmm. new board mm-hmm. members. And I right. want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, both of you, um, as I understand it, when some new, folks came in different priorities were set and that's sort of where there was a lot of misalignment mm-hmm. um and um, as I mentioned earlier, school boards are getting a lot of attention. School board races are getting a lot of resources. In mm-hmm. fact, one in Salem Kaiser attracted about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for four seats wow. right that 's more than your ending fund balance <laughs> when you took over <laughs> wow. yes, it is. that's more than three hundred and fifty not four school boards in New York City where things can be a lot expensive, but four seats in Salem mm-hmm. Kaiser. I have a lot of thoughts about that, um, but most of it came from you know one or two interest groups. And so the, there's been a lot of conversation about the role that interest groups or external groups play in student achievement and the work that you all did in your school districts. Can you talk a little bit about, maybe we'll start with you, Joe, uh, whether or not these sometimes external organizations, really represent parents and families and and kids and the needs that they have? Or if if so, tell me how you know. If if not, tell me how you know that.
3: Well, I think uh, if we zoom back out and try to discover what is it that, why do we exist as a system, right? Mm -hmm. Why do we have public education? And that, of course, you want to have an educated public. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't want to have people who have you know, no information, no knowledge and whatever. And so you have systems which are um, um, full of people who have spent their lives or careers trying to help students read, trying to right. help them learn math, trying to help them, um, you know, trying to feed them, uh, you know, get them here and back in school. And so I think that there is a lack of, first of all, it's, it, can, it can seem like it's not transparent. Mm -hmm. Um, the challenge is that you can't explain every single thing that you've done that day because that would be replaying your 12 or 15 hour (laughs) workday very long days (laughs) right there are a lot of days (laughs) very long days yeah and it's a it's a massive organization it is a multi-million dollar operation with um, hundreds of employees and thousands of daily clients and to explain certain things you have to give them some context like Mm -hmm. why are we reading about this like Mm -hmm. well there's a a group of people who come together and they decide on the curriculum and it comes to the board, it gets reviewed by the public if they wish, and then the board adopts that curriculum. And so I think that um, people sometimes see it as uh, far simpler than it is. Mm -hmm. You know, School boards have one employee and that is their superintendent and they can only hire and fire that one person. Right. Um, And that's their CEO to run it. And I think that sometimes the, I, I think outside organizations, I think they do represent some people's views. Mm-hmm, I, I don't mm-hmm. think that they would win elections if they didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's really important to remember that we welcome every child that walks in the door, mm-hmm. regardless of where on the political spectrum their parents are. Mm-hmm, that doesn't mm-hmm. actually matter. You're here, we're going to care for you, we're gonna do That's our right. best to support you in school. And it seems sometimes that people who don't want something for their own child also don't want it for everybody else's children.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's a hard conversation to have. Say, we have to educate each child and we have to do things sometimes differently for some children than others. And it may be something that you don't agree with. Mm -hmm. Um, And we try to take them back to, here are the standards given to us by the state. Here are the things that we're being asked to do. When you hire us to do these jobs, you want us to make sure that your child is safe, Mm -hmm. they're welcome, they're secure, and they're learning. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to work on. And I I don't believe that everybody understands the complexity of that work.
2: Yeah. Go ahead, Melissa. I think you mentioned or you did mention uh, the influence of politics. Mm -hmm. And I would say that is a big change in what we have experienced Mm -hmm. as superintendents in the past. Of course, it is a political office that's voted on by the community, but it has not. um, But school board members typically are people who are running for off for the school board within their own community because they have a student in the school or they are well connected to some of uh, the good work that's happening in the school and they wanna have an opportunity to leverage that um, through their leadership. Um, what is now happening, however, is you are seeing the the two major political parties digging in around candidates for school board that
1: never happened before. I, I, right? <laughs> but, what do you think is driving that now? It, right. Like what's yes. what's happening now that's so different from five years ago?
2: Well, I think I think the pandemic made. Uh, I see the pandemic actually as a Trojan horse yes. for people who were um, dissatisfied with public education. Um, uh, moving toward equity for every single child mm-hmm. and making sure that every child has that opportunity and uh, and makes those gains, as Joe was talking about, so that we have a well-educated uh, public yep. electorate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the dissatisfaction was already there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I feel that COVID-19 and the frustrations that people felt related to um, their own individual rights in association with COVID-19 uh, became a very good cover mm-hmm. for people who wanted equity work in this work um, that, uh, that we are engaged in and so many of us in education are engaged in to uh, make sure that the students, that we redesign our system so that it Mm -hmm. meets the needs of all kids, Mm -hmm. um, that that doesn't happen. Honestly, by and large, our schools still look like they did in 1860. Mm-hmm. They are not vastly different. Where they're different is in these projects that Joe's talking about, where mm-hmm. iPods were being used to really help kids listen to their own reading skills, play it back, learn where their mistakes are, and read it again. Um, it was very it was very simple, but very powerful use of technology that we saw there. Um, that is the type of innovation that we wanna see, and what that does is it pulls everybody up, mm-hmm. all students up. Um, there are certainly uh, concerning uh, components mm-hmm. to what we're seeing as well. Mm-hmm. In Albany, um, during the um, the presidential ele- election, which happened just six months before the election for school board, um, we saw, <laughs> we saw, we right. <laughs> That's funny. right. Didn't even so put those together. there was, and yeah. and um, Black Lives Matter protests having happened the summer it was just six months before that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, around George Floyd's tragic murder, mm-hmm. and so seeing that um, that surge of of people saying yes, people of color need to have their rights protected. They need to be safe in our communities and That's protected. Right. And Driving that into the presidential election, which really honed in on mm-hmm. um, almost on taking sides on that issue mm-hmm. um, and then seeing what played out in in May and in our school board elections. Mm-hmm. I, I really see that the dissatisfaction with COVID just just became an, an opportunity for people who are dissatisfied with um, with every child getting what they need in schools mm. happening anymore, mm. and um, and so a lot of money was poured into that. What I was gonna say is in Albany, during that presidential election, we saw Confederate flags flying down oh, our yeah. streets in the back of pickup trucks all the oh, time. Way more than all the time. before, yep. Um, and our kids were very, sorry, our kids were very scared. Yeah. Um, they had a lot of fear associated, especially our our, uh, black students, Mm -hmm. associated with um, going to school as we built toward the presidential election and then immediately following the insurrection on the Capitol, it was a
1: scary time. It was scary, as someone who grew up in the South, (laughs) a black woman in Oregon, I mean, you don't have to be a kid to be afraid, right? I see Confederate flags and I I hold my children a little bit closer to me. Mm Yeah. Um, when I see Black Lives Matter signs, I go, oh, okay, can breathe a little easier. It's so, and I'm an adult and I've, you know, been here for a while. Um, and so the impact it's had on me these last few years, I can't even imagine what it's, what, you know, being 11 years old and watching this world well, unfold. And the import
2: of what you're saying of seeing a Black Lives Matter sign yeah. and knowing, oh, I'm safe here and I belong yeah. here. yeah, That does nothing to anyone yeah. except help help black people mm-hmm. know they're safe mm-hmm. and cared about. Yeah. It, there is no harm to anyone I to have that, that in I literally saw on the way
1: in, I go, oh, or and I cry- know y'all. Right, <laughs> or having a pride like, flag, same right, thing,
2: right? Yeah. Um, so then you see people who are upset about that for reasons that are not associated yeah. with um, an academic education focused on critical thinking and developing your strengths and, and yeah. knowing your true history. Yep. Um, it's
1: about something else. Speaking of true history, did critical race theory come up at all in conversations at your board level? And tell us a little bit about that, because it's it's taken mm-hmm. over. It's got a life of its own now. And I just want to hear a little mm-hmm. bit more about the context in your school districts.
2: Mm-hmm. you, you want
3: to go? Sure. Uh, interestingly, uh, I didn't hear a lot of the CRT specifically, mm-hmm. right? So it was not um, something that came up. It, the general idea around equity, mm-hmm. and, and maybe as a proxy for you know using the CRT language for that, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's you know it's interesting because it surprised many of us because it's really an obscure thing at a graduate yeah. level yeah. out of yeah. nowhere. But it, it's a three-letter acronym, so it's easy to remember and it's mm-hmm. easy to weaponize. Mm-hmm. And I think that that a lot of that weaponization was around you know when we looked at the when we got funds from the Student Success Act, mm-hmm. um, which you know brought us almost almost up to the uh, just nose above the water level from where we should have been for decades yeah, because right. of the Measure 5
0: right. mm-hmm. thing
3: that we uh, started our careers and, and immediately went into uh, <laughs> you know, a death spiral of, of funding for Oregon schools. But the focus mm. around equity made some people upset right there. Well, mm-hmm. how, come, how mm-hmm. come those kids are getting more than my kid? Like, what well, mm-hmm. all kids are supposed to be getting what they need. And that means that we may apply some funds more here than there, which we've been doing for decades under Mm -hmm. uh, Title I, right? Right. So federal funding has required this for a long time. Exactly. People don't remember that No Child Left Behind, which was brought in under a Republican president, Mm -hmm. was really the first time that the Fed said, you need to look at all of these groups of students individually as groups Mm -hmm. and not as just the whole. So as a whole, you're doing 72%, everything's
0: great.
1: Yeah, you
2: can
3: easily
1: hide what's going
3: on if you're not looking at
1: individual groups of kids.
2: But you do that, the net uh, value of that is that when you hit 100% rather than 70%, the economy in your community mm-hmm. grows because you have hopefully people who kids who come back who've been well engaged very smart kids and they mm-hmm. come back and they and they live in your in your community and they grow the economy right. within your community mm-hmm. so it would be something you would think it's not a surprise right that a republican would say let's look at this
1: mm-hmm. oh right? that anyone would Cause say Cause let's they, look they, at they, this they, they, they anyone yeah. would say let's figure out yeah. what's going on that here.
2: anyone would say right but when you think about economics Right. It, it is a part of what the value is of yeah. caring about every child. Mm-hmm. Student
3: achievement is, if if we want to get away from just it's a good thing to educate everybody. Mm-hmm. Student achievement is a financial transaction yeah. because if Absolutely. you do not educate well and they end up uh, incarcerated, mm-hmm. then you're talking about one hundred and forty-four thousand mm-hmm. dollars per mm-hmm. person, and if they, yeah. you know, if there's so you get or back unable in the cycle. to
1: break out of the poverty line, right. Yeah. Yeah, and but so even now, beyond that, it's just really for for me and the work we do. It's really mm-hmm. about making sure kids have options, right? Of course. That is the whole premise yeah. of this. Absolutely, uh, the work that we do of this whole enterprise mm-hmm. and public schools that are publicly funded should serve the public, <laughs> and yeah. kids of color are part of that. Well, their families serve all are part of, the part of that, right. right? Like all that, that the is public. not. So this yeah. debate about critical race theory is just making me a little crazy and I think it is a red herring and we'll get to that in a mm-hmm. second. Um, but the you know the conversations I've had to have with people who aren't as engaged in this is around like what is it and mm-hmm. is it being taught in our schools right. and it seems to be taking up a lot of time at the school board mm-hmm. level. So I'd love for you to address like what, yeah. what what what's going on. I think our school board members are
2: probably hearing it more from community members who are speaking at board meetings or who are uh, talking to them in social media circles. Mm-hmm. We have in Albany, we have four school. Four of the five school board members are in the same social media group. That's a closed group, and um, topics such as this come up within that group. Um, I think that what folks don't understand um, is is dangerous, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm. Um, When you don't understand that the history that we've been teaching is a history of a singular perspective, it uh, discounts the lived experiences of 500 years of American history, of Native peoples far, back, 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 long before that time period. and and fails to speak from the lived experiences of people of color and immigrants within our country, fails to speak to the native perspective and ignored boarding Mm -hmm. schools. None of us, none of us in Oregon school, I don't know, I'm an Oregon school graduate. um, We certainly didn't talk about Native American boarding schools when I was growing up. We certainly didn't talk about um, uh, uh, the the Tulsa massacre. None of those things were discussed. Talking about those things, does not create a uh, an issue with race in our country,
1: mm-hmm.
2: talking about those things is talking about the existing issues of race within this country and the historical issues of race within this country. Mm-hmm. And our children need to be prepared, no matter if they are black or white or Latino, mm-hmm. they all need to be prepared to have those conversations and understand better yeah. how we have operated in the past and how we want to move forward together for a better future. I love it. And I, I think that, um, the easy cry of no CRT mm-hmm. um, yeah. really discounts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's actually happening in schools, which is just tremendous work by fantastic
1: teachers. Absolutely.
3: Right. So, that,
1: go, ahead, go ahead,
3: Joe. There's, just, there's a lot of f- fear around that, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting because, and you hear this phrase a lot, you know, we need to learn our history so we don't repeat it, mm-hmm. you know, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, people often we'll, they'll take a very contrary stance to that too, well you shouldn't you know we shouldn't talk about that because it's just gonna make it worse. Mm. Like no people should know that Central Park <laughs> Central Park was actually yeah. before Central Park, it was mm-hmm. a black community that had yes. been built by black people, and uh, it was a Mm -hmm. community with banks and schools and Mm -hmm. everything, and Mm -hmm. and it's not, and people will say, well, you're just shaming us for being white, like, no, no, Mm -hmm. we're just explaining that it's a long and challenging history. It is important to to recognize what we did to our native peoples. Mm -hmm. It is rec- it is important to recognize what we did to people of Japanese descent during Absolutely. World War II. not Absolutely. very long ago, right here in Oregon. Right here in Oregon. <laughs> those are yeah. important things to remember to to remind ourselves so we don't repeat them. Mm-hmm. You know, in um, uh, a journey, I went. In, I was in uh, Berlin at one point, and they have. Oh. Um, Signs of like, well, this is where the book burning was. They have a picture of it, and they, and it's not to celebrate it, just right. to remind you. By the it's way, just, this, this is this where this happened. This happened. happened here, yeah. Right, and yeah. it's mm-hmm. and it's important to remember that, so you don't do it again, that's so you right. understand yeah. the hurt that it, that it creates. And I think that that people often say, "Well, you, you can't talk about it because it's make to make me feel bad." Yeah, make you feel bad. I just want you to understand that history is complex. Yeah, and we've done some things that we shouldn't be proud of.
2: Well, and the cry of "Don't make my child uncomfortable" is is to me somewhat offensive mm-hmm. because not having spoken about this for the in schools at all how do, people have, how do the children of color, the Native American, the immigrant students feel? Right. They have felt uncomfortable for that entire time, yeah, entire and no time. one has expressed concern about that. Yep. Um, because their parents are too busy working. They're mm-hmm. too busy learning English. Mm-hmm. They're too busy trying to make sure that their children get the support that they need at home to then come in and advocate in the mm-hmm. way that parents mm-hmm. who have um, more privilege are able to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think... Um, it's very troublesome that people would interpret um, us serving all kids better and addressing uh, addressing our history mm-hmm. as somehow making our white children less or yeah. making our white children, um, you know, feel like we're we're casting blame. Certainly, yeah. we're not. Certainly, we're not casting blame on their right. parents either. Not at
1: all. It's just—it's
2: just history. It's yeah. just what's happened. And
1: speaking of making folks uncomfortable, I was on a board not too long ago where we were talking about these issues and how we respond. And one of my colleagues said. Um, it it doesn't make sense to get uncomfortable about this right now or just maybe it's a flavor of the month or a fad and I go well you know only took about 400 years (laughs) to make (laughs) this the topic of conversation and so I think it's about time and I hope it doesn't go away anytime soon Um, but we you know I was shocked as I was preparing for this um, got um, some access to some research and some data around how people feel about their local public schools and I was pretty surprised what we found and so uh, we'll put it on the screen so folks can follow along, but when, we're, when folks were asked their local, their local school boards, what's your impression of your local school board? 58% in the Tri-County, so that's Washington, Clackamas, and Multnomah uh, felt pretty good, positive impression, and I, was the, what surprised me is that it was the same in the Valley as well, and mm-hmm. in some of our more rural parts of the state, so Eastern Oregon as well. Mm-hmm. But the difference came when people, you know, when you cut the data based on whether or not you have children at home. So uh, 74, 72 percent of people who have kids in the household said they've had positive impression of a local school board, even in these times where there's so much divisiveness. People who have kids in, at home were pretty satisfied, a pretty positive impression. That number dropped precipitously if you don't have mm-hmm. kids in schools. Uh, And that made me think about. You know, I ask my kids all the time (laughs) what's going on in school every single day. And I get a real, you know, real time (laughs) understanding of what's happening in school. Uh, It gives me a view of, you know, what you said earlier, people don't know something it's a little more terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what's being reflected here in terms of mm-hmm. you know people sort of thinking about what's happening in schools but not having a way to really engage and have access. Um, so questions do you or were these numbers surprising to you? what do they say to you? and how do we you know better um, inform people who don't have kids in school about what's going on? So it's not yeah. so scary or maybe they're not thinking. Things like, well, these kids shouldn't get more than others or anything yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Just love your thoughts on. Yeah, on it, it's interesting to me. Really, my first thought
2: in seeing. Well, in seeing the first slide, I think uh, COVID has depressed uh, the overall. feeling of people. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, regarding schools overall. And um, that is just the state of, of us living through this pandemic together. But looking at the the other slide, um and seeing the number of uh, the, the disparity mm-hmm. for ki- for people with kids in school. Um, my first thought was actually about how are we creating access for those parents to learn about what's happening at the school board and to learn about what's happening um, at kind of more of the, the academic uh, management level. Mm-hmm. Because those voices actually oftentimes are not as elevated within the board forums, the, the mm-hmm. board meeting meetings, yeah. um, as are as are the um, comments of actually retired people who may not, who don't have kids in school. Mm -hmm. Um, So -hmm. that's been an interesting, uh, that data kind of confirms that for me. We need, we need to
1: figure out how we create more access for our, Absolutely. And we need the entire community mm-hmm. to support our kids. Absolutely. We're not with our schools. I said uh, the last time I was at City Club that schools are an essential service. Mm-hmm. And they're not just for me because I have two little people. They're for
3: a lot of people Absolutely. and they're for the entire
1: community. Absolutely. Any more to add to that, Joe, before we go? Uh,
3: yeah, the numbers aren't surprising at all. Yeah. You know, we found the same thing when we were trying to pass a bond in the middle of a pandemic. and mm-hmm. The numbers were very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, when you're a parent, you're getting the newsletter from the superintendent, the newsletter from your school principal, the. Mm -hmm. Uh, email from your teacher and so you're much more engaged and I I think it's challenging depending upon what your news source is um, you know where you're going to get that we've had such a change in just media in general over Mm -hmm. the last you know decade or so that Mm -hmm. it it doesn't surprise me that that people will pick and choose or their confirmation bias will come in and be like well that's of course they're doing x y or z
2: well and that access to schools for people who are not parents and parents themselves have had far less access to schools during the pandemic Mm -hmm. for two years. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you're not a parent or working at a school, you don't have access to schools. I mean, they have really been shut down. So um, I I think
1: that also impacts the numbers Mm -hmm. for folks who don't have kids in school. Yeah. So back to the poll a little bit more, um, looking at the topic of critical race theory, because I'm not just obsessed about this. I think it's become... Um, the, the rallying cry to talk about equity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not people would Absolutely. prefer not to talk about equity, so they talk about something else, and I think critical race theory mm-hmm. is the is the thing. Twenty eight percent of the people in the Tri County, and twenty seven percent the rest of the state. Thought that critical race theory was being taught in their schools mm-hmm. uh, that number goes up quite a bit in the valley which is where your two districts sit and mm-hmm. would love to you know sort of think about what that meant for the conversations that the boards were having um, in your districts and then if you asked if folks supported critical race theory 28 percent, am sorry 32 percent of people who do not have children were not supportive that number was nearly double for people with kids mm-hmm. in school right so mm-hmm. you know that dichotomy of you know, living in a more white community and not having kids in school that, mm-hmm. you know, not supportive and you think it's happening. And mm-hmm. so you show up and you have conversations about these right. things that are yeah. not really going on. I'd right. love thoughts about that. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, um, in looking at those numbers, one of the things that, um, that is important to note is we are all doing equity work across the state in different ways and at different levels. I'm actually very proud of us for having Willamette Valley numbers that are so high because I feel like that, because I do think CRT Mm -hmm. is a proxy for equity Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. And I I think it means that Joe and I, as white allies, have been really trying to lead the work along with other allies, such as Ryan Noss and Corvallis, really trying to lean into equity work and make good things happen for all students Mm -hmm. and communicate that. With our communities, mm-hmm. so I'm super excited to see that number, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then when we look at at uh, at the numbers. Between the 58% split, I can't remember the other was uh, low in the 20. 56 and,
1: and 32. 56 mm-hmm. and 32,
2: yeah. Seeing that split also doesn't surprise me because school has changed so much and how we approach conversations about including all students has changed so much mm-hmm. that those people who don't have kids in school haven't even received any of that education. And mm-hmm. so their learning experience was very different right. and see, equity for them is is nebulous, they don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think CRT is just the proxy.
1: Yep, yep. Right. Um, just, we're running short, we don't have three days.
0: <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I'm totally you we don't we have three did, days, Toya, I, started. I saw Toya.
3: that email.
1: Just, the one thing that has changed a lot, even in my time in Oregon, um, is what uh, the composition of the students in our schools, mm-hmm. right, we're f- nearly 40% of our kids in public schools in Oregon are kids of color. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, often go into schools before the pandemic and particularly the black students would just go, oh my gosh, there's a black lady walking around, right? Like yeah. it, the, the looks I got just made me sad, but also surprised me. And mm-hmm. when you look at the superintendent level, mm. folks leading our districts, mm. only about 4% of those people mm-hmm. are people of color, right? Mm-hmm. So there's not much reflection of our students in our leaders and, our, and in our teachers, about 10% of our teachers are teachers of color. Mm-hmm. Um, you two were fired for doing equity work Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. you're white. So think about yeah. the <laughs> message that yeah. sends yeah. to mm-hmm. our, our leaders of color in our schools around the state um, mm-hmm. and our super, superintendent level, which there are not very many of them. Love your feedback and thoughts. I mean, of, of folks who are mm-hmm. leading this work as people of color, um, what can white allies do? Just want to give you know, a few minutes to, to that topic. Mm-hmm. You want to start? Sure.
3: <laughs> um, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, we have a pipeline problem, and part Mm -hmm. of that is, you know, when we, we're not hiring enough staff of color so students see themselves reflected in the staff who work with them, their teachers, their um, administrators, and what have you, and so it continues to feed that way, it's like it's small numbers coming in, they don't see them, they don't think about becoming a teacher. Mm -hmm. you know we don't market ourselves very well this is actually we we started
2: and one of the things we started in albany was Mm -hmm. when i was there as a grow your own program Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so um we actually have scholarships available for students who are graduating students of color or bilingual students or classified staff who are interested um in becoming a teacher Mm -hmm. and then we support them through their junior college or or regular um university programs Mm -hmm. uh with the um with the requirement to the investment that we have first right of refusal. So they come back and they Great. interview with us and yeah. we have the opportunity we're to back. hire them. Come back, we come want back. you back in yeah. our system. Yeah. Um, and we're really excited about that program. It's just, um, it's it's young and I'm hoping they continue it.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and this is the next step of that, getting them in the door and then how do you keep them in the door?
2: Yes. Right, yes. and I think
3: that that's where, you know, building in some systems of support, you know, uh, affinity groups as, a, as an example, like mm-hmm. a place to come. And be among people who understand your lived experience a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, and you do have to provide those levels of support because you know if you you read the the superintendent the report about um, superintendents of color and then and as I reviewed that I was looking through them saying yeah exactly Mm -hmm. they need whoever the the superintendents are in this report they needed support from peers Mm -hmm. who had a similar lived experience um, to be able to just commiserate a little bit like this is really hard work and mm-hmm. yeah you, you mentioned before we have two white former superintendents who were fired for doing work in improving the outcomes of students uh, mm-hmm. who have been historically marginalized BIPOC students and LGBTQ and I think it's really important that uh, I don't know how to improve those numbers and I also know it, the job is already very lonely yes you're, yeah. you're really on it's an so island lonely. all the time mm-hmm. and you're on far more of an island if you're a superintendent of color because there are so few of you to connect with and also you know what kind of supports do we put into place what can professional organizations do to support that you know you've got Owala, yeah. who's been doing a lot of work the oregon association of latino administrators mm-hmm. um, you've got um, uh, other groups that have been mm-hmm. trying to, to support you know COSA have mm-hmm. been doing some of that work and the, and the you, Department of You
2: also have partnerships with um, the NAACP that mm-hmm. can be extremely valuable mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. welcoming um, particularly uh, black employees into a community. Let them know uh, information that is unique to them regarding where they want to go to church mm-hmm. or where they can get their hair done. Right, Things that right. are really important. Mm-hmm. I um, still haven't
1: answered that second question for myself. So have to do my own, do my own every day. Um, yes. Right, yes. I mean, these yeah. are really right.
2: important conversations. Our Hispanic Advisory Council also was super supportive of our mm-hmm. Latina, mm-hmm. Latinx um, employees and um, trying to find those partnerships because as a white person, I am not gonna be their best partner. Mm-hmm. I can be their ally um, and part of being an ally
0: mm-hmm. is
2: helping them build connections. And I, I think what I would, would to uh, folks who are wanting to become a superintendent or are as uh, superintendents of color, um, I would just encourage them to identify who those white allies are that Mm -hmm. they have Mm -hmm. and accept that um, support and connections that they might be able to give them. And also accept that that white ally might be willing to take a step out in front Mm -hmm. um, to allow you to continue within
1: your work. And I think that's part of our role as an ally is Mm -hmm. to do that. So one more question. Um, I read a quote recently, I'm going to read it now, that really sort of stuck with me over the last couple of weeks. It's a teacher from, not in Oregon, but um, I think it's very applicable to the conversation we're having today. She said, while the school board is fighting about politics and theory, none of that has a place in my classroom. My biggest fear is that this is our new normal and that board meetings are not concerned about what's happening in our classrooms. School boards have a lot of control over a lot of things, not just who is running the school district, but the, the budget mm-hmm. as well. I mean, it's a $9.3 mm-hmm. $9. billion state school fund and mm-hmm. all of it's, con- it's controlled locally, so that's a really big um, part of the work. The policies mm-hmm. that school districts have in place come from the board, or that, that don't come from the board, but are approved by the board. So mm-hmm. there's a lot that can happen at the yeah. school board level if they're spending time on these other things. Mm-hmm. What aren't they spending time on? And what should the public, who's their only boss, <laughs> the public is the boss of the mm-hmm. school board, yeah. the public is the boss of the school board vote, next May uh, in your local school board elections, what should they be, what should the public be demanding that districts spend their, school boards spend their time on? Well, I think on the front page of every paper right now, we should be talking
2: about students reading. Um, We have just spent these last couple of years uh, in a pandemic where our youngest children, our youngest learners Mm -hmm. who are just getting the building blocks of reading under their belt uh, have had very little direct instruction from teachers to help them learn to read. Mm-hmm. We also need to be worried about the um, social and emotional impact that the, just the, just a scary thing going through an, a pandemic where people are getting sick, that in itself was scary, right? Yeah. You add on top the, the isolation that many of our students have felt, kids who are already high anxiety, what they're bringing back into the classroom. Those are the conversations that school boards need to be having right now, front page every day should be on the front page every day. And the fact that that is not happening, and instead we are talking about CRT, which isn't even being taught in classrooms, is really irresponsible, especially when you look at the fact that they are responsible for millions of dollars being spent. Yeah. How can they not be focused on these issues right now?
1: Love it.
3: Right, exactly, we should be, you know, think about um, this kind of separation we've had. We've got students who have been on their own, depending upon their home situation. Yes. Any. Yes. Uh, number of unknown trauma. You know, we unfortunately saw the number of child abuse reports increase as kids came back because now we had mm-hmm. adult eyes mm-hmm. on them, yeah. and dropped, it not dropped it,
2: while they were gone. Dropped
3: while they were gone, and then increased when they came back. And yeah. I, I think they should be demanding. Uh, answers to you know what is it you're doing for my child's mental health and Mm -hmm. wellness Mm -hmm. not arguing about whether the mask is making them uncomfortable but like what is it you're going to do to help my child feel okay or all the children yeah because Mm -hmm. they're going to come back in and and Mm -hmm. you know we've been kind of in person and we're so you know we've had this start and stop but that's going to stay with them for a long time we're going to have this kind of pandemic affected
2: group of students
3: students, and we've had it in different levels so at high school for some people their first Day of being in high school was as a junior
2: right. in high school. Absolutely. First yeah. time.
3: They were an eighth grader and now they're a junior and then they've been on this distance thing. Distance works for some kids, yeah. but mm-hmm. not for most. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. humans are very gregarious. We're, we're very tribal we like to be yeah. around each other yeah. Yeah. We're together yeah, yeah.
1: right <laughs>
2: First
3: we time are we're with
0: two people it's just really it's yeah. just really yeah.
3: important to be asking those questions what is it yeah. you're going to do to I mean our reading score should be off the charts our math why are our students not doing well in math right. those should be the yeah. questions that are coming in and just demanding I want to know why this is not happening and right. this is not mm-hmm. happening and instead of arguing over the red herring stuff yeah. that's really Irrelevant in yeah. the grand.
1: And if they're focusing on these yeah. things over here, they're not really directing the resources that they can be
3: directing, Correct.
1: right, to the students who need the support right. the most. Because
3: right. you know right. the school staff is doing that work; they are just killing themselves. They are themselves. killing
2: themselves. They are working so hard. Right. I guess that's the other thing. They should be thanking every employee in the school district, every mm-hmm. bus driver, every facility worker, every everyone you know, everyone who puts wax on floors, everyone who serves meals to kids, mm-hmm. every teacher, every education assistant, every secretary, every administrator every job role, mm-hmm. our boards should be expressing s- the same level of appreciation mm-hmm. as what happened in, on March 22nd um, of the first year of the pandemic, right, right. When, when everyone realized, oh my gosh, our kids are now no longer gonna be an in in-person school, right. they're all gonna be home, and holy cow, yeah. that scares us about how sure. we're gonna handle our home life, yeah, right? But, yeah. That level of appreciation should still be being shown, and, and it is almost as if, some of, uh, well, it, it is, that there are many board members showing disdain. Yeah. And
1: uh, for me, that's reprehensible. So we have a couple questions from the audience. We don't have a ton of time, so we'll go a little quicker on these. Uh, is it a good time, to your last point, to become a teacher right now, right? We need, there's a shortage of all the things uh, happening in our schools this is now a good time. Yeah. Tell us, what, the love of your thoughts.
2: <laughs> well, Starting with absolutely be, yeah. believe yes. in being a
1: teacher. I yes. think it is
2: the best job that you can have um, where you're really uh, making a difference for future generations. I think that people will be scared to become teachers. I no. think particularly people of color, immigrant families, will, they will be afraid to, to become a teacher. Um, however... Uh, I also think we're at this very interesting time. Oregon is going to have the the highest budget availability in this next biennium than we have had since Measure 5. Mm -hmm. So, And we are also going to see teachers and other uh, professionals within our school systems leaving the profession. We need to incentivize keeping them there. We need to, to make sure that we are paying our our employees at a rate that they deserve Mm -hmm. um, for all of the incredible work that they do for kids. And so it could actually be a very smart time to become a teacher because I think the professionalism that teachers deserve may
1: be on its way. Yeah, and we have a couple of questions about legislative action. What future legislative action can be taken, and either one of you um, can take this, to keep what's happening right now, what's happened in the last few months from happening again? Like, What are your thoughts about how to make sure that the school boards are more accountable to the people that they serve?
3: Well, I don't know about specifics, so I, I'm, I'm yeah. not a lawmaker. And I don't play one on TV, but uh, <laughs> I would. I think it's important to realize that there aren't a lot of checks and balances within mm-hmm. those systems. So there's no oversight of school boards as an example, mm-hmm. right? When things go awry or when things, when laws are being broken mm-hmm. or other things that may or may not be happening. But it's very challenging for, I mean, the only way for, for somebody to hold them accountable is to you know file a lawsuit and then two or three years later, but yeah. they may or may not even be on the board anymore. And, and
2: imagine the, the, yeah. the skills you need to have right. and the resources you need to have to file that lawsuit. Yeah.
3: So mm-hmm. I think it's important to have some kind of oversight. And I mm-hmm. think that there is, it, that doesn't take away local control. And I think that's always the, the big scary, like it's our local control, like, Yes. And you also need to have some um, some bumpers on the bowling alley because Mm -hmm. you don't want all the balls going in the gutter. You've got back to the money and what's happening for kids and the kinds of supports that we need and the kinds of things we have to do in the school system. Those are all really important. But Mm -hmm. I think action of that kind of nature, whatever that oversight looks like. Yeah, because
2: to be clear, there are laws that that govern the behavior of school right. boards. They're right. just simply is, is um, the Oregon Ethics Commission has very limited oversight of right. um, investigating whether they are they are um, holding up to those standards. Mm-hmm. I think that I know there are several bills right now, um, and folks should should get in and take a look at the House bills. I actually mm-hmm. spoke in favor of House Bill 4140 today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is in relationship to expanding uh, the uh, ability of the Ethics Commission to mm-hmm. uh, take a look at school board, uh, school boards who are walking outside of, of the laws. Those lawns,
1: yes, mm-hmm. and then uh, Senate Bill 1521 talks about no-cause firings and making sure mm-hmm. that there's a, a lot more notice and a lot more conversation that, mm-hmm. that should happen between the board and the superintendent. But mm-hmm. um, sticking with you, Joe, around the instability that can be created yeah. when something like what happened in your district um, happens. We've, I know your district has lost um, district staff and print, a principal or two, and recently one of the school board members resigned because she just, I think she was the only woman of color on the board, she and she just mm-hmm. said, We're, I cannot take this anymore, and right. that all creates instability. Um, what kind of environment, ultimately, does this create that will impact our students?
3: Well. When you create instability within a system like that, it, it may not be immediately apparent, like people who are quitting and leaving and doing those things, but the challenge is that you have teachers in classrooms with kids who are hearing this conversation happening all the time and they might think, well, maybe I'm next. Mm. And then you know as well as I that when you're focused on something else and you're not focused on the work, you're not focused on the children with whom you are sitting yeah. right now and you're thinking about this other conversation that happened, mm-hmm. you, know, um, you know, and it's it's constant. And then you have people who are leaving, people that you mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. You know, they may or may not like me, but, the, but you know, the <laughs> district staff or, or <laughs> they the- They may or may or not the, like the, me,
2: but they're, right. they're, I did do work. I did so. do some <laughs> stuff, right?
3: But, you know, but but if your principal leaves, that's traumatic. That's a yeah, big thing. And it is, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it creates instability, which then affects the children again. And I think that mm-hmm. that's, it can't be overstated. It doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but it really I is. I mean, it's
2: traumatic for the children, too. Right. Yeah, that's what it is. absolutely. Not just the staff, if people weren't catching right. that, right? Right,
3: right.
1: They're paying attention.
2: They're paying attention. Kids it, are
1: paying attention. They're very observant. The kids
3: know <laughs> when their teacher's not having the best day. Right. They just know it. Right. And yeah. I'm sure when you were a teacher, they would ask you, you
1: okay today? <laughs> yeah, What's up?
3: Right? Right? Yeah. yeah just had a thing, <laughs> right? Or, you know. Yeah.
1: We're getting a lot of questions about what people can do to help. Great. Tell us what you think. I mean, lean
2: in, uh, uh, view your local school board meetings, get to get to know some school board members, talk, see if you can actually um, get online and just read about what's happening in your school district. In our two districts in Albany and Newburgh, all of those um, school board meetings uh, are online and very educational. If you watch them, you'll learn a lot. Um, And that's true for most of your school boards as well. Um, and also pay attention to where can you invest your time, where we look at these pipelines that we're building to get uh, people of color into our system. How can you partner with school districts to make that happen? Think about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Think about how in the future you can contribute to uh, kids learning to read and kids learning math because eventually we're gonna be in a, in a space where volunteers are gonna be back in our schools. So. Yeah. Uh,
1: lean in um, and pay attention to the House and Senate bills. Yes, and it's a little bit easier now as, a, as someone who runs an advocacy organization to get folks engaged in the process in real time because it's all remote. It's right? so You can simple. testify. I hope. I actually hope they keep this part of it because mm-hmm. it's really hard to get folks who have busy lives and other things to do to go to Salem to testify for five minutes <laughs> in this one block of time. Right? right. And now you can sort of click in when they hear when you hear your name. Come on in and, and give your testimony. It's so much easier. And, I, and same with school boards. Yes. With school boards. Same with I, school boards. Our our participation by our historically underserved families skyrocketed as yeah. soon as we went to Zoom Amen. meetings. Amen. Yeah, yeah, it's been fantastic. Yes, yeah. yes. Any other thoughts about folks getting engaged, what I, they can do? I
3: actually I agree with Melissa. Mm-hmm. You know, asking the hard questions about how are our students reading and how are they writing and, and what do their scores look like and, and what is it that we should be investing in and do you have... Um, have you put the money into curriculum mm-hmm. have you put the money into teacher training have you put the, mm-hmm. the money into yeah. you know asking those monetary questions do you follow the dollar you find out where the priorities are because your budget is mm-hmm. essentially a moral document mm-hmm. saying these are yeah. things that are more That's important right. than others we choose mm-hmm. to fund some things and not other things right phrase, yeah. and so where are we funding? are you putting in enough classroom teachers when you look at the uh, SIA funding, you know, where did that go? You should, you should know what people made decisions on, where yep. those go. And those are, those are important questions to ask because those things directly affect how the children will learn. Yep. The adults they have in the room with them mm-hmm. and the kinds of resources that we put toward those things. Yep. Those, that's the real recipe. The rest this other noise is just noise and it's, not, it's actually not helping and it's not going to, to cave the system in. The system is very resilient. For good or bad, right? You know, it's held on a long time. Yeah. Well,
2: and pay. I guess that would be the other thing to pay attention to: is your superintendent needing to focus away from the district more than they're focusing toward their district? Mm -hmm. And I would say, in both of our cases, we found a lot of time where we were, we were needing to focus in a different
1: direction, Mm -hmm. away
2: from students. Mm
1: I love it. So on the last question in the the last two minutes, would love to get to a point you, you mentioned, Melissa, about sort of what happened at the beginning of COVID, right? At the beginning of all of this, when the world was shutting down, it did feel like families, communities leaders, were all sort of in this together. Yes. There was a moment where, you know, for myself, for a lot of folks I know, we sort of became co-teachers in a way that we didn't think about before, and it really connected us to our schools in a very different way. Uh, And we sort of all sort of started to understand the importance of really pushing in and helping to make sure kids get what they need. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts about how to get back to that place where we're all in this together?
3: Well, I I think people got tired. I got a little bit exhausted because it's hard work. Um, but I think it's important to remember that that children are resilient. They will come through this. And if we find ways to support them and to acknowledge their challenges and their traumas and things like that, I, I think it's also exceptionally, I think we cannot underestim- uh, understate the work that school staff has done, have done, mm-hmm. I mean, across the board, teachers, mm-hmm. bus drivers, cafeteria, custodians it's really important to acknowledge that super hard work Mm -hmm. and in service of students and Mm -hmm. I hope that we get back to more celebratory like thank you for doing this work I know it's hard I know my kid was not the greatest kid today and I'm sorry for that you know and and just acknowledging that work of people because they really are they're working exceptionally hard yeah. and mm-hmm. the students will come through this. Yes. Uh, and we just have to really focus on, this is what we want best for them.
1: Yep, so let's just take a moment to thank teachers and leaders and families and parents and, and students for being so resilient. Thank you all as well for joining us today. Thank you City Club for creating this forum and thank you Joe and Melissa for the work that you continue to do and for being here with us today. So with that, we really appreciate you all being here and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thank you you you. for having us. Of course. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you.